From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, she makes it easy and helps keep more money in your wallet. This is For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Haq. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of For What It's Worth, where we break down all the big economic, money, and personal finance stories that really impact our wallet. Sometimes these big data numbers come out of Statistics Canada, and we can sit back and think, or I sit back and think, how does this actually affect me? I don't even know why these numbers are important to me. And that's what we got this week from Statistics Canada. It was the inflation data for the month of May. And it showed, some of the media headlines, have you seen them? That inflation tumbled, tumbled to 3.4%. Inflation has been sitting above 4% for the last two months. And it's actually come down from its all-time high of over 8% in the summer of 2022. Now, the Bank of Canada stepped in and started raising interest rates hoping to cool those inflation numbers. And it has been working. We've seen inflation tick lower since they started increasing in uh, in, uh, interest rates, and in some cases, one percentage point at a time. Because when you increase interest rates, money gets more expensive, so more expensive to service your mortgage or any debt that you might have. And so that forces people to really think more about where they're uh, spending their money because more of their money is going towards paying their debt. As well, it also becomes an incentive to save because we get better rates on our fixed income products. So better rates on GICs, for example. So more people are encouraged or in our savings accounts to save. So the number uh, had ticked higher in the month of April compared to previous months. So there was some concern that inflation was moving in the wrong direction again. So these May numbers, they are pretty encouraging, but we have to break it down. Mainly inflation is lower because of lower gasoline prices. We're paying more at the pump, less at the pumps, less, less, less at the pumps than we were year over year. And that is one one of the factors that they look at when they look at the basket of goods you know the the consumer price index has a number of things that it looks at what the cost of it is today compared to last year and they try to uh, then come up with how much more or less we are paying for that same basket of goods and they try to keep that number around 2% So they want our life to get more expensive by 1 to 2% every year and when it ticks higher than 2% the Bank of Canada gets worried, and that's when they start raising interest rates. So the latest numbers came in 3.4% for the month of May, again, largely driven by lower gasoline prices. But the key sticking point here is that grocery prices are persistently high, much higher than headline inflation, still up 9% year over year for everyday things that we are buying at the grocery store. That includes eggs, milk, major vegetables that we buy, the most common vegetables, you know, lettuce, zucchini, peppers, uh, fruits that we buy, strawberries, berries. I know the cost of fruits has gone up uh, a lot in the last year. I've been much more careful as to not only how much I bring home, but making sure that none of it gets lost in the back of the fridge, because that's something that we're all guilty of, right? We have that big soggy box of lettuce that we forgot about at the back of the fridge. So I've been trying to keep my fridge pretty airy, for the lack of a better way of putting it. So keeping it a little, you know, much more simpler so I can see all the food in the fridge. 
and freezing anything that I can. So I know that it's got just a little bit longer shelf life when I put it in the freezer. Uh, Some stuff you can't freeze, right? You can't freeze lettuce. That doesn't make any sense. You can't freeze potatoes. I mean, you just got to eat them when you eat them, right? So if I buy something that is highly perishable, I make sure it's right in my face all the time so that I'm working through those items and I'm not letting any of them go bad because that's even worse, right? You buy something that is 9% more expensive than it was last year. Then you bring it home, it goes bad and you throw it out. What a waste of money. So uh, these inflation numbers, of course, they're encouraging, but it still does not uh, address some of the key things that Canadians are still paying more for. Why are grocery prices still up 9% year over year? We're going to talk about that later in the program. Uh, A new survey that shows, you know, grocery prices should not be this high year over year. We should start seeing them come down, but that hasn't happened yet. And that has an immediate impact on household, a household's bottom line. It impacts your ability to save for your retirement, save for your kid's education, uh, pay off any debt that you have because more money is going towards paying everyday uh, costs and less money is going towards those long-term savings, which does improve our financial wellness. Now, the next thing that we're looking at is the interest rate announcement from the Bank of Canada in July. Even though inflation has come down to 3.4%, there is still an indication, economists are forecasting, that the Bank of Canada will raise interest rates by another 25 basis points. And that means the overnight rate will go from 4.75% to 5%. And it hasn't been there in more than 23 years. It's a situation that many Canadians have never seen and never experienced before. It's a new financial reality that we live in right now. If you're struggling to make your monthly mortgage payments, this is a time that you really need to shore up any extra cash you have to make sure you're prepared for these higher interest rates. Even if you're in a fixed rate mortgage, if you go to renew that mortgage, you're renewing in a much higher interest rate environment. And from what I understand, next year, more mortgages, fixed rate mortgages are coming up for renewal than they have in the last few years. And that means more Canadian households will be dealing with those higher payments immediately once their mortgages come up for that renewal time. We'll be talking about all of that. We have a great show ahead for you. Next, we're going to talk to Bill Van Gorder. He is the Chief Operating Officer of CARP, Canadian Association of Retired Persons. And he's going to talk to me about a new survey that shows many Canadians are nearing retirement with no savings whatsoever. He has some advice on what they can do coming up. I'm Rabina Ahmad Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Hawk. We all know that saving for retirement is important, but sometimes life gets in the way of investing for this long-term goal, especially now with the cost of living being so high and interest rates continuing to rise. Many Canadians just don't have the extra cash to put into their retirement savings. And now there are a growing number of Canadians who are retiring or close to retirement who have no personal savings whatsoever. And this is a growing concern because Canadians in retirement need money to still live their lives. To talk about this and solutions for anyone who is retiring with no savings, we're joined by Bill Van Gorder. He's Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer at CARP, which stands for the Canadian Association of Retired Persons. Hi, Bill. Hi, Rabina. 
Bill, I wanted to first start by asking you, there are a number of different surveys out there, one that shows that uh, a growing number of Canadians only have about $5,000. This is uh, Canadians aged 54 to 65, who are just sort of a decade away from retiring, uh, only have $5,000 saved for that reality. How concerned are you about these numbers? Oh, we're very concerned about those numbers, and CARP isn't at all surprised that uh, that is the uh, report. Uh, we know that uh, Canadians, especially older Canadians, having are having a terrible time saving. Cost of everything is is going up, and putting money away is one of the last things they're able to do, especially if they're trying to do it in the last years before they hope to retire. Now, uh, this is personal savings, so money that you've put away throughout your working years in your RRSP or maybe your TFSA. Um, tell me a little bit about the piece with workplace pensions. A lot of people don't have workplace pensions anymore and how that's impacting uh, Canadians' uh, retirement lifestyle. Yes, less and less people have workplace uh, pensions and uh, they're not... Uh, generally available anymore for new employees unless you're working with government uh, organizations. And uh, so the folks who are uh, entering retirement uh, age now or even starting to work are finding that uh, they're going to have to have their own savings, their own RSPs and other kinds of in investments, but they don't have the money to do it and, and don't have the you know, the, the opportunity of the sort of forced savings that uh, defined pensions used to give us when there was automatically often a shared cost with the employee and it was required that the employee do that, uh, add to it, not just the employer. So it's becoming a, a huge problem. As I say, less than 30% of Canadians have a defined uh, pension uh, or, or a pension of any kind. And uh, that number is decreasing all the time. It used to be, and we're going to get a bit into it, that the uh, CPP and guaranteed income supplement, the old age security, that was considered a sweetener on top of what your workplace pension would be. So extra money to do extra things in uh, retirement. How much is to blame different uh, workplace environments, companies no longer offering, especially those defined benefit plans that give you that guaranteed income? Um, how much do you, uh, I, I, if blame isn't the right word, but how much do you factor in the fact that companies simply aren't even offering these kind of pensions to employees anymore? Yeah, they're they're not uh, they're not offering them, and uh, uh, the employees who who somehow still expect because you know unfortunately people don't look far ahead to see how much money will I have when I retire, and somehow there's still the misapprehension that uh, the government will look after them. Well. The uh, uh, level of government uh, support at this point is around $2,000 a month for the average individual, $24,000 a year. There's no way anybody in this day and age can live on $24,000 a year. So uh, it really is a, a desperate situation for many people who are currently just entering uh, a retirement age or a time they hope to retire, and they find they just don't have the money to do it. 
And that would be if you got the max uh, old age security and max uh, guaranteed income supplement, that would then equal $24,000 a year. And like you said, uh, really most Canadians would not be able to have a, com- a comfortable lifestyle on that kind of income. Uh, Bill, that uh, that uh, survey that I spoke of earlier was from uh, Healthcare of Ontario Pension Plan. It did find 44% of non-retired Canadians aged 55 to 64. I mixed that up a little bit in the beginning. I have less than $5,000 in savings, but even more worrisome, one in five from that same group say they have not put any money away at all. What options does somebody have if they're nearing the age of 65, they want to stop working for whatever reason, but they haven't saved anything? Right. Well, they're, you know, the options are very few, unfortunately, uh, and uh, they may not have the option to stop working as they want to. Uh, CARP hears from uh, thousands of people across the country that they have to keep working uh, to be able to continue to live past the age that they had thought they would retire, which is generally in the 60-65 uh, age range. Uh, they, can start, uh, they can start saving uh you know at better better late than than never but that probably is not uh going to be enough but one thing they can do is urge their younger family members and friends to start serving saving now even though it's very difficult with all the other expenses going up but it really is an impossible situation uh, for many people and that's why we're we're seeing uh uh poverty homelessness uh uh people even with uh uh, you know, who had decent jobs, not able to afford to uh, live unless they keep on uh, on working and continuing to work at that age has its own problems, difficulties and challenges. This bill really speaks to younger Canadians who are still working, who may not feel that they have to save that much for retirement, because in some cases, there is this misunderstanding that retirement is actually quite inexpensive, that your your day-to-day expenses fall. Um, talk to me a little bit about the cost of retirement, and do, do things get cheaper after you leave work? Well, no, they don't. Uh, they don't get uh, cheaper, and unfortunately, that's one of the things that uh, uh, there's an assumption that they will. But most of your basic uh, costs for uh, your costs for accommodation, your costs for food, your costs for travel, uh, they all remain uh, remain pretty much the same. Maybe you don't have to buy as many fancy clothes for work, but people aren't even doing that today with so much. Uh, uh, so many people working from from home, uh, your cost of living does doesn't unless you want to reduce your standard of living or your enjoyment of living. If you determine you're you're never going to take a vacation again, you're never going to travel, uh, you're going to sell your car and and walk everywhere or take public transportation. Uh, you know things just don't reduce uh, in uh, price and and uh, and that's what people don't uh, don't understand it's it's hard to find and with the the costs of the of the necessities going up because of inflation uh interest rates going up uh, people still paying uh, mortgages there really is no reduction in costs from when you're working and when you're not working even though you're older unless you've determined you really want to sit in your rocking chair and spend the rest of your life looking out (laughs) your bed, your uh, living room window. 
We're speaking to Bill Van Gorder. He is the Chief Operating Officer and the Chief Policy Officer for the Canadian Association of Retired Persons, or CARP. Uh, Bill, that retirement that you just described, I think most Canadians would say that that's not what they want from uh, the years when they stop working. Uh, What would you say needs to change? Uh, Canadians are living longer. They're living healthier. uh, They have aspirations to do all different types of things when when they do leave work full-time, at least. What has to change... And where does that change come from? Well, one of the, you know, there's a couple of changes uh, that have to happen. One is um, we we have to change our attitude toward continuing to pay mortgage and pay for large houses when we're uh, uh, when we uh, get older. And maybe it does uh, downsizing and that support. And one of the things those surveys really didn't tell us was whether or not, in addition to that less than $5,000, these people own uh, property and houses that have some uh, value and that, that might be turned into dollars that they can use. The other thing is that because we're living longer and healthier, we probably have to consider keeping working uh, longer. We may change jobs. We may do something else. We may want to uh, hopefully have a, an employer who's willing to accommodate some of the things we would want to uh, do as a worker so that we can do that. Uh, but uh, And we have to realize that, uh, you know, 65 for retirement was a, was a made-up age in the in the first place uh, you know uh, 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 von bismarck uh, uh, made that uh, change uh, decades and decades ago to try to get rid of some uh, some of his generals and he created the idea that you have to uh, retire at 65 uh, we're adding 10 years to our life every decade so maybe people shouldn't even consider uh, retiring or or changing until they're 75. But then we have to change the employer's attitude because there still is ageism in the workplace. And there's a feeling that for some reason, uh, wrong reason, um, older employees can't really uh, contribute. One of the best ways that many people are doing where the employer is willing to work with them is help give a balance in the company between young workers and older workers. And this often involves, for instance, putting the older worker on a contract rather than uh, uh, on salary so that uh, so that they're looking after their own uh, benefits and the benefits for that age group are often picked up in a major way by uh, by government support and also having those employees be able to take say a month off in the winter when they want to go south and let the younger employees take a month off in the summer when their children are off school and there's a balance uh, in in employment employees for the company and the company actually saves money uh, overall and the employee is still having the same net take home uh, pay that the uh, older worker had when they started. There are creative ways like that to do it, but everybody has to get on board, start thinking about it, and plan ahead. So one of the things that uh, employees who are coming close to uh, whatever age it is they want to start working need to start having that discussion with their employers. Bill, thank you so much for joining us today and getting us up to date on what's happening with uh, Canadians who are nearing retirement and in retirement and what they can do if they have been unable to save uh, money for those years. Thank you, Rabina. It was good to have uh, CARP talk with you today.
Yes, thanks. That's Bill Van Gorder. He is the Chief Operating Officer and the Chief Policy Officer for the Canadian Association of Retired Persons, or CARP. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the current state of renting in Canada and how one company wants to help renters manage this very expensive situation. I'm Rubina Ahmad-Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina ahmed Hawk. Rent in Canada has gone up considerably in the last two or three years, especially in big cities like Toronto and Vancouver. I'm hearing about condos in the city of Toronto going for $2,700 and more. Uh, if you're closer to the city centre, you're paying that premium because you can walk to all those different places and you have access to things like public transit. One issue that renters face, not only the cost of renting, is that they are unable to build credit history while they're renting. So when they go to buy a home, they don't have much credit history to show um, outside of maybe their credit card bills, especially if they're in in an all-inclusive situation where the landlord is taking care of all the utilities. They don't have bills that they can show that they've been paying for many, many years that shows that they are a good person to lend money to. Well, one company is helping renters build some of that credit history and also reward them for being renters to talk about what her company does to help those individuals who are renting. I'm joined by Lisa Akladiani. She's the CEO of Chexy. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Rubina. How are you today? I'm great. First, start telling me what is Chexy all about? So Chexy is kind of Canada's first payments platform that enables tenants to earn rewards and build credit through consistent on-time rent payments. The whole you know, thesis around our company has actually come from me being a renter for the last 10 years, um, having been frustrated around not being able to build credit and especially having come to Canada as an international student who was not really aware of the credit system in Canada. This was definitely an uphill battle. But beyond that, um, you know, as I kind of have progressed in my life, I always looked at, you know, optimizing rewards, being able to use kind of credit cards to be able to fund my vacations or enhance my savings. And the fact that my largest expense was not being able to be used towards that was always very frustrating, uh, which is why I created Chexy. Now, this is different because in the United States, you can use your uh, history of paying your rent on time as uh, it is counted towards your credit score. Do you know why in Canada? Is there any reason they give as to why paying your rent on time is not considered something that can be part of your credit history? So I actually, there is a couple of reasons for that. And not everybody in the U.S. can build credit on rent. There is a different dynamic in the market where um, the U.S. uh, real estate market is dominated by big players, big REITs and apartment managers who um, own 50 to 60 percent of the market's rental buildings, they're able to use technology and be able to partner with Equifax themselves to report those payments at scale. In Canada, the majority of our renters rent from individual landlords. About 80% of the market is individual mom and pop landlords that manage their own properties. 
those individual landlords do not have any technology. They're not willing to use very uh, costly property management software. They're not going to go and make a deal with Equifax just to report their one unit. So because of that different dynamic in the market and the fact that our market is primarily individual landlords, there just hasn't been a solution that works for tenants to kind of make get the most out of their rent and start building credit for that. Now, it's such a difficult situation that renters find themselves in. Like I said, you know, some people uh, just recently I heard someone is renting their apartment $2,700 for a barely one bedroom. Uh, I would probably (laughs) call it a bachelor in Toronto. So most of your money is going towards your shelter costs. So you're unable to save uh, a, a, a reasonable down payment. And then you don't have credit history to go to the bank and say, lend me more money so I can get into this house. Talk to me a little bit, even from your own uh, experience in the last 10 years being a renter, what is the situation like for renters right now? Am I describing it uh, accurately? I think you you know you nailed it there with your description. You know, renting is becoming more and more expensive, and as such, as you mentioned, people are saving less. If you are saving less, but the housing prices overall are continuing to go up, you are just further and further away from home ownership. And let's be real, you know, most millennials, most Gen Z, still want to be able to own their homes, and as a result, paying rent every single month, paying more and more. You feel like it's not helping your financial goals. You feel like you're being left behind. And, um, you know, this is true not just for, you know, people who are, you know, let's say in kind of working class job. I have many friends who are making $80,000, $100,000 a year and don't know when they're going to be able to afford a property. And, you know, if you're making $100,000 a year, you're in, you know, top 5% of earners in Canada. If you can't afford the property, then who can? And this is very much true um, for kind of a lot of our generation. And I believe that, you know, there just has to be a better system. There has to be a better system that helps renters reach their financial goals faster. Um, And that's essentially what Chexy is aiming to do. So talk to me a little bit about Chexy. You explained it in the beginning, uh, what you're doing for uh, renters, but how do you actually help build renters' credit history? Do you have a relationship with TransUnion, Equifax, these other companies that uh, release information when you go for something like a car loan or a mortgage? Yes. So we partner directly with Equifax. We are actually talking to TransUnion to start partnering with them as well. Um, you know, credit unions and, you know, uh, they have to build their own system to be able to report rent payments and to be able to credit consumers on that. TransUnion is currently br- building their framework in Canada. It is not yet live. We're one of the only ones that are working with Equifax already on this. And the way it works is, any other trade line of credits you see on your, you know, on your rent report. Think about your phone bill that appears on your, um, on your credit report the same way as your credit card does. All we do is we help our consumers establish that line of trade uh, with Equifax for their rent. And we just you know, furnish their data and add their on-time rent payments to Equifax every single month. It is very important to mention also, we truly target to the tenants. So we sell that service to the tenants that really, really need it versus, you know, trying to essentially take advantage of people who potentially could be struggling with paying rent on time. For us, it's the people who are newcomers, international students who are rebuilding their credit, who are paying their rent responsibly. This is kind of our target audience um, around credit building. But beyond that, um, you know, I talk about how expensive renting is. And um, we at Chexy thought, you know, we can't really do much about the prices in the market short of becoming a developer or running for office. 
but we can perhaps we can make paying rent more rewarding. And the way that we do this is we allow our tenants to use credit cards. We also have uh, merchant partnerships with brands that our tenants already shop with, like Sephora, like Nike, where if they continue doing the shopping there, the loyalty dollars that we get to earn, we pass on to our tenants in the form of rent cashback. They essentially, their everyday shopping starts chipping away at, the, at their rent every single month. We're speaking to the CEO of Chexi, Lisa Akvladiani. Uh, they have, she has a, a company that's helping revolutionize the way tenants handle their rent, helping them build their credit history. Also, like you were just mentioning, uh, Lisa, get uh, get uh, rewards for things like uh, items at Nike, Apple, Sephora. Um, tell me a little bit also about the connection that you have with landlords and, and what you're doing there. So currently, we actually fully target renters. What we mean by that is we want to make sure any renter in Canada um, can sign up for our service without having to worry to convince their landlord to adopt new technology. We've seen that to be you know, probably the biggest hurdle for our tenants before. So we build our solution that essentially requires no landlord onboarding. That means if you pay rent through Chexy, your landlord continues to receive the same e-transfer they're probably already used to, which means all we need from you is your landlord's name and email address. Um, in the future, we are looking to essentially allow landlords to start using our service and bring tenants on board as well. Um, we have not considered that when we launched the company, but we have seen a lot of demand from those smaller landlords who just want to provide their tenants a better and more rewarding pay of paying rent and also improve their own uh, visibility into the portfolio. So that's something that we're working on developing in the future. We've talked a lot about young people uh, trying to save for their first home or pay off student debt, whatever it is that they want to do with their money and how difficult they're finding it to uh, pay rent and also build for their, their future. Is there a group of renters that you're most concerned about? Maybe you're targeting more because they are in need most of your services? So for us, I think any renter in Canada who is frustrated with high cost of living would definitely be able to benefit from our service. I think in terms of the ability to be able to build credit, those are the people who generally have very thin credit files currently with the credit bureaus. So the way that, you know, the people that came to mind are, you know, newcomers to the country, international students, as well as, as, well as people who are just on path of rebuilding their credit would be the ones who would benefit the most. But as I mentioned, specifically to our rewards offering, it's very much any renter who's frustrated with how expensive renting is in Canada, which I would wish to say most people are, uh, would really benefit from the service. In the last few years, so much has changed with the rental market. During the pandemic, many people left uh, big cities and got into either they went back home to live with their mom and dad because it, you know they were working from home anyways, or they moved into cheaper accommodation because they didn't have to live close to work. And then now we're seeing the same people come back into the city. Talk to me a little bit about how just the dynamic of being a renter has changed in the last just couple of years. During the pandemic, I actually moved to Toronto and was kind of faced with finding a rental for the first time with everything being online. And I do think during the pandemic, because of the vacancy rates that were really high in the city, as you mentioned, a lot of the target demographic of those who would otherwise be renters, downtown Toronto, for example, had moved away and were living you know, in the GTA or wherever they grew up. 
Um, of course, that meant landlords had to, you know, find tenants. They had to be a bit more accepting with their terms. We saw, you know, prices decline for a bit there as well. That has kind of turned on its head now, and it's a completely different market. People are struggling to find places. Um, it is not uncommon to hear people bidding um, for having uh, to find a property, people uh, providing six to nine months off rent to their landlord just to get into a unit that they want. So it's incredibly hard to be a renter beyond the fact that it's expensive. Even if you can afford it, um, you're probably competing against other great renters with great credit history and uh, you know good means and good jobs to be able to even get in the units downtown. <sighs> Lisa, it's been such a pleasure speaking to you. Your uh, initiative, your company, uh, Chexy, sounds like such an innovative way to look at what renting is and how we can use uh, these huge payments that young people especially make when they are first uh, starting out maybe in their new job and they haven't bought a house yet uh, to actually work towards their financial wellness in the future, build that credit history. So uh, thank you so much for joining us today and, uh, and good luck on the future. Thank you so much, Rubina. Thanks for having me. That's Lisa Akladiani, the CEO of Chexi. When we come back, we're going to talk about a new report by the Competition Bureau that shows grocery prices remain persistently high and what needs to happen to bring some of those costs down. I'm Rubina Ahmad Haq, and this is For What It's Worth. From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina ahmed Hawk. Thank you so much for joining us today on For What It's Worth. It's been a really interesting hour speaking to Bill Van Gorder of CARP about the situation that many Canadian retirees find themselves in right now. That survey by the Healthcare of Ontario Pension Plan that finds that 44% of Canadians who are 55 to 64 only have $5,000 saved for retirement. And of them, one in five have saved no money at all. And they're completely depending on government benefits in order to fund their retirement. So that's OAS, old age security, and the guaranteed income supplement, and maybe some CPP if they if they've worked uh, worked enough years in order to collect any. And so that's a really difficult situation, scary situation that Canadians find themselves in. Uh, one thing for sure is that it's a cautionary tale for anybody that's working right now. Companies are no longer offering uh, workplace pensions the way they used to 30, 40 years ago. When things like OAS and, and the GIC were first created, they were considered to be sweeteners that would be added to your workplace pension. So you worked at a job for 30 plus years, you paid into a company pension, and the company also topped you up. And then when you retired, you had this guaranteed income when you when you left your work when you left your job that would be with you uh, for your retirement for your retirement years and that you could do whatever you liked with it and then the money that you got from OAS or GIC if you qualified would be a sweetener CPP would be a sweetener. Now many Canadians are depending on that money solely 
to fund their retirement. And so what's happening? Canadians are having to work longer. Canadians are having to work longer, even though their health is declining. And all of this is leading to more stress on all of our public services. Of course, if you're in, in not in very good health and you continue to work, then you are going to have to seek more medical attention at some point because uh, your, your body is at one point going to need it. And that puts more stress on the healthcare system, stress that could be avoided if uh, if there was a system available, as Bill Van Gorder uh, rightly said, uh, for those individuals who just simply haven't had a chance to save, especially in the last three or four years with cost of living going up, interest rates going up, and uh, things like rent and groceries continue to, to skyrocket. Uh, a lot of solutions there that he put forth, you know, government solutions, ways that we have to look at employment again, um, because many of us don't stay in the same job for 30 years. So it's not even the case of employers not offering workplace pensions. It's that Canadians don't want to stay in a job for longer than seven or eight years. That's the average right now. So we have to deal with this new reality and have to develop a system that protects those individuals who, for whatever reason, have not been able to save for retirement. Not everyone's lucky enough to have extra money to put into their RSP, their TFSA, buy investment properties. Not everybody has that privilege or that luxury. Somebody making $80,000 a year who has no family obligations is able to save more than someone making $80,000 a year who still sends money back home because their parents may be uh, unable to support themselves, or even parents who are here who who do not have the means to support themselves, who maybe have increased student debt because they didn't get help from from their mom and dad to pay for for their education. Uh, they may be uh, dealing with uh, costs of uh, of childcare costs that they didn't anticipate. Maybe a child with special needs or other things that they didn't anticipate in their life. And so, all of those things we have to consider. Uh, that just because someone makes 80000 doesn't mean that they are living the same life as someone else making the exact same salary. Also really interesting speaking to Z- Liza Akladiani. She is the CEO of a company called Chexy and how they're helping renters build credit history. Real innovative company there. Um, you know, helping those individuals who are renting for the long term when they want to go and get a loan. They should have some credit history show that they've been able to pay these astronomical rents on time at the first of the month for the last many, many years. Uh, just like gas bills and utility uh, and, and and phone bills, you should be able to build your credit history through your renting history as well. Well, before we go, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Competition Bureau report, a Competition Bureau report that examines uh, the Canadian market when it comes to grocery prices. And their investigation found that surging inflation at the grocery store last fall uh, really is not because of supply chain issues and increased cost of labor and all the other things. It's lack of competition. There's not enough competition in this country. And that is what's leading the big companies, Loblaws, Sobeys, Metro, to continue to record, uh, report rather, record profits. $100 billion in sales 
collectively. $3.6 billion in profits. And this is at a time when the pandemic uh, was hitting, when people were losing their jobs, when people were unable to work because they were down with COVID-19 or they were uh, immunocompromised and could not go into a, a situation where they could have a job in a public environment. All these things were happening, but the big grocery chains were still making billions of dollars of profit. The Competition Bureau says we need more we need more competition in order to keep those prices lower. Thank you so much for joining us today on the program. We will be back here next week same time, same channel. I'm Rubina Ahmed Huck and this is for what it's worth.